Thank you for choosing this Dream Centre podcast. Don't forget to subscribe for further updates. Okay, have you got your Bibles? Have you got your Bibles? Good. I'm going to give you an illustration. Do you know, when I go to the gym, there's a, uh, after I finish my workout, there's a cafe area and there's a coffee machine. And this coffee machine's a stubborn thing. I'll tell you why it's a stubborn thing, because it reminds me of a lot of people. You, you have the Queen's money. You put the Queen's money in the machine, but the machine doesn't want to take it. So your money keeps falling through. Yeah? So I have this thing, I lick my money. He goes, oh, you're dirty, right? You don't know where it's been. I do know where it's been. It's been in my pocket. Right? I'll, where's my pocket been? Next to my hand. So I lick the money to give it a little bit of moisture in the hope that the, the mechanism is going to stick or it's going to catch it. And it works nine times out of ten. It works nine times out of ten. But you persist, you keep being persistent in the hope that the machine's going to give you what it says it can deliver. True? And I felt with this whole series of getting into the boat, crossing to the other side, that I have to keep putting the coin in your slot until I feel the mechanism is responded enough and it's receiving what I'm putting in. Amen? And what you find is, as, as, a, a, as a minister, you find that you have to keep sowing and sowing and sowing before you get a harvest. Because there are many, many things we don't understand, but as we keep saying it and finding different ways to say things, the penny finally drops. And the disciples had this problem. And Jesus kept saying it. In fact, believers have this problem. That's why the Psalms and the Scriptures keep saying, and the word of the Lord came again. Why? Because God knows that we all catch on at different levels. There is intelligent, there is hyper-intelligent, and then there's me. You put whichever one you want at the bottom of that. (laughs) But we all catch on at different paces. Do we not? And I guess if English is not your first language then it could, it could be potentially difficult, depending on how good your English is. Because I know I can speak fast. I don't speak the Queen's English, but then again, she doesn't speak Mancunian. So, and I know that as we keep on speaking and speaking and speaking, I'm trusting God that the Holy Spirit will make it clear to you what he's making clear to me. So then it becomes our word, instead of just my word. Amen? Because this word is meant for you. And you meaning us. Because there's a whole group of people that God wants to cross over. Amen? And as I've been ministering this word, I've been doing a little research with regards to what people actually think or what people actually understand about crossing over and going to the other side. And it's illuminating when you listen to some of the the answers. I'm not going to give you the answers because they're the people's individual answers but one thing I do know is this is that whenever you listen to a word that comes to you it goes through a filter and that filter is your emotions okay and your emotions then have a context to them which normally highlights your circumstances because of your circumstances they release a series of emotions true hello So if you're going through a hard time, what do you think your emotions could be? It could be worry. 
It could be anxiety. It could be fear. True? It could be lack of trust. It could be doubt, unbelief, panic. All those kind of things potentially can pass through you because of your circumstances. And they do pass through you, just like me. That's why the Bible says, I will not fear when I hear bad news. David says, I don't care what news I hear, I will not fear because the Lord is with me. So David had already decided that whatever's going to come, whatever my circumstances are, the filter is not, I'm not going to allow my emotions to dictate what decisions I should make. I've got to keep my heart at peace, at rest, and I've got to keep it focused. Now that is very difficult to do, but it is possible to do. Because God would not give us commands, God would not give us his scriptures if it was difficult or too difficult for us to do. God is not a taskmaster that sets the bar so high that none of us can reach it. Because that would be, that would be a frustrating God. Amen? When he calls us to a new level, he knows it's possible to go there. He knows we can go there. So, when people have the surge of emotions going through their life, have you noticed how much of those, that circumstance dominates everything? What do you go to sleep with? The circumstance. What do you wake up with? The circumstance. Have you ever heard the phrase, it's under my skin? It's in my, I can't get it out of my head. I can't seem to shake it. All those are phrases we use because our emotional status quo has been shifted. Because of the circumstances that we often go through. Now God knows this. That's why he sends his word. He knows that we are human beings who get shifted from pillar to post. And that's why his word is sent to us so that we'll stand and hold our ground. Without his word, we have no way of holding our position. That's why his word must come to our lives. Amen. But you see, when we become so focused by circumstances, it's we just cannot move Beyond our circumstance. Nick, if you just put that uh, slide up for me, please. And what you find is that you can't see the wood through the trees. Now, here is a children's, a picture from a children's book. And these used to give me great source of entertainment as a child. Has anyone ever done them? It's called Dot to Dot. Now, on this one, it actually tells you it's a monster of the past. So... I've been polite, I've been so easy with you this morning. I could have tipped that out and let you try and guess, what is it? Now, you might have seen it straight away and said, well, it's a dinosaur, of course. You might be going, I don't understand what it is. And that's the beauty of those dot to dot, that you can't always see what it is straight away. And what you start to do, as you start to follow the numbers, ah, it comes into clarity. Does it not? And then you think, oh, now I know what it is. And the, and the, the fun of the game was trying to guess what it was before you got to the end. And the fun of the game was to try and see if you possibly could to see it before you even start. Never mind, get to the end. And I used to look for these and play with these all the time. You can see I had a, a rum childhood, can't you? But nevertheless, these brought, these brought a great sense of entertainment to my life. And I've often thought about how Christians get from one stage to another. And I often see this parallel. The dot to dot of Christianity. You start off, obviously, at number? Right, see, that wasn't too hard, was it? And you finish at the last? 
Whatever that last number is. Whatever, no matter how many numbers it takes to form that picture, that's where you're supposed to finish. So we can see that there is a clear start and there's a clear finish. True? Now, when you've done dot to dot, you never panic, do you, halfway through? You just follow. And sometimes, if you can't find the next number, you take a step back, pause a minute, and then you wait for the next number. And sometimes, if you're like me, you were puzzled halfway through, you think, what the hell am I drawing? And then all of a sudden, wow, it all comes into clarity. So much of our Christian life can be lived like the dot to dot. You get so preoccupied with the circumstances that you can't move from here to number two. Number one dominates you so, so much that you have no focus to keep on moving. So if you're on the beach and God says, get into the boat and the boat is number two and number one, you're so frightened of water Guess what? You're not going to want to get into number two because you're so preoccupied with what's going on. True? Your emotions is going to so fill your heart that you don't want to get into number two. Now, you haven't even got to number three, four, five, six, or seven, but you are so focused on small dot thinking that you can't see big picture. True? You can't see the big picture. So in John chapter 14, verse 12... How many of you heard the phrase, you can't see the wood through the trees? Now, when you look at the woods, what do you see? Do you see trees or do you see tables, chairs, boats, houses? You can see, you can make anything from wood. True? But sometimes you're so preoccupied with the first dot that you can't see the wood through the trees. Everything's a blur to you. You can't see what's in front of you. Amen. So in John 14, 12, Jesus is telling them this. He says, I tell you the truth. Anyone who has faith in me will do what I've been doing. He will do even greater things than these because I'm going to the Father. Now, how many of you know Jesus is saying big picture? He's talking about big picture thinking there. True? He's not talking about a single dot. He knows the circumstances. He knows the dot to dot of your life. He knows that on every dot that you go, there will be a trial. There will be a circumstance. There will be potentially a setback. There will be victory. There will be happiness. There'll be a a whole cauldron of emotions. True. And yet he still speaks in big picture thinking. He never talks on a dot to dot. Why? Because he always sets before you life and death. He always sets before you Big picture. Even in the small, even in your circumstance, God speaks a word beyond your situation. The fact that you don't see it is not the point. The point is he still spoke it. And later on, have you ever had a prophetic word spoken to you? Then you try to understand it and bring it down to the single dot and you got frustrated because it wasn't working like that. But then you began to see over the months how it had a bigger context. Gone quiet there. Some of you might need a prophetic word. You know, when God said to me, I'm going to use your life, I thought that I was going to be a missionary. I told you that before. So that was my single dot. So I tried to explore that single dot, but that prophetic word went way beyond. He said, you'll go to the nations, but you can stay from here. You can move from here, from a base. 
I thought he had to live in the nation. And the way the word comes to us, depending on your emotional filter, you will interpret the word accordingly. Yeah? God's word is pure. So he speaks, to the, he speaks to the disciples. He says that in order for you to see greater things and do greater things that Jesus was doing, you and I must learn to operate by the law of the big picture. Yeah? Now, when he told these guys that they would do greater things, he also didn't tell them at that point that there would be trouble. They'd be stoned. They'd be persecuted. Did he not? He didn't tell them at that particular point here, He's telling me you'll do greater things. Why? Because he always sells the trailer. So you'll go and watch the movie. If you saw all the sad bits and you think, I don't like that movie, I'm not, I'm not watching it. So God always sells what we call in marketing terms, the sizzle. Before you taste the sausage. That's gone right over someone's head, I know, but don't worry about it. That was free of charge, you can have that. God always speaks big picture. But time and process helps you to understand that big picture picture you receive that word based on your circumstances amen you see if you saw the big picture you become overwhelmed you would become overwhelmed why because you haven't grown to that point you need to grow into that word amen if God would have told me the things I would be doing and the things I would say do you think I would have signed up because God knows what to say and what not to say. Don't tell them too much. You tell them too much, they'll freak out. Don't tell them enough, you leave them frustrated. Just tell them enough. He's not holding back from us, he's got more to tell us. But he's waiting for us to grow into that level, mature, amen? So we don't become overwhelmed and frustrated in our emotions. But when he told them this, they only had one context, the immediate They only had one context, the immediate. So, the thing is, is when you receive this word, you receive it in your immediate circumstances and context. We must understand this. And if we don't have circumstances sometimes, the word just seems to have no bearing. You know, many times I've been in meetings and people have have laid laid their hands on me and, and spoke over my life. And sometimes the word, I'm thinking, where does that fit? And what I, I have this, this kind of process then that says, Lord, this doesn't seem to ring any bells. So what we'll do, we'll park, it in, we'll park it in the inbox. I've received it. I've written it down. I've put it there. If it doesn't make any sense, guess what? What's the worst thing can happen? It goes. But if I have a context or I can see something, perceive something coming down the line, and it's in line with what I've been praying, guess what? I'm going to lay hold of the word. And I'm going to pray into it and see how we then begin to develop. Because not everyone who speaks is hearing. You know that, don't you? Some people are trying to do good. Some people want to bless you, but they're not hearing. So they give a word. And our job then is to just park the word, leave it to one side. You never, ever, 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 and one more ever, do something because someone's prophesied over you. They are not the guide of your voice. They're not, prophecy is not the guide. You, you should be witnessing what's already taking place inside your life. If I begin to prophesy and say, right, God's telling me, leave, leave your, let's just say, leave that girl and go and join this girl, this girl could be married. True? Come on. 
It's never meant for manipulation. It's never meant for steering people's lives. It's meant to speak into the person's life. And if it has no sense, they should just leave it. If you, a prophetic word should never confuse you. Because God's clear. So if you're confused by a prophetic word, again, go back to the person and say, you know, this word's not really helping me. And if they get all spiritual and you say, well, it will make, it'll make sense in the days, just thank them, move on. Amen? Too many people are trying to steer people with prophecy. We don't. We speak it, we leave it. And if it's of God, it'll come to pass. If it's not, it'll just go by. Amen? So, the word comes into our hearts. We grow and we can start seeing the dots open up. We see there's more than our circumstance. We see these words taking us beyond. Rather than just helping us in our circumstance. Amen? So, with a single dot circumstance, person, people who live by dot to dot, and they live by circumstance, and live on their nerves, and live by their emotions, they never see where God is leading them. They never see where the word is trying to take them. Because they live from event to event. Yeah? That's why there's some people, I remember in the early days of uh, when we used to have Sunday evening meetings, and the same people, roughly, every Sunday night would turn up for prayer. Every Sunday night, the same people would come out for prayer. What that told me was from week to week, they lived by crisis. Think about it. I'm not saying they don't need prayer. What, every week? You're all quiet now, aren't you? You're awful quiet out there now. If you're praying, and I'm praying, God is able to speak to you and help, to help you. Amen? Now the Bible says if anyone is sick or anything needs help, ask the elders and they'll pray for you. So that there is room there, an opportunity there for you to receive prayer. But not every week. We're supposed to be mature. We're supposed to rise. We're supposed to have this word in our own hearts. We can't have laying on our hands every week on the same people. Something's not right. Something needs to be fixed. But the congregation, some of those congregation, it's amazing that most of those people who did that are no longer here. Because Christ needs to be inside. They can't work. It's like driving a car, letting it run out of fuel, pushing it into the garage and expect me to fuel it. And then driving it all week and taking no responsibility for putting fuel in your own vehicle. That's called a son. <laughs> who borrows his father's car or sometimes a father who borrows his son's car. I'm sure he'd defend himself, my son, if you heard me say that. But I've got the microphone. He's next door. It doesn't matter. You see, when people only live by the dot to dot and not by big picture, this is what happens. You ready? Phil speaks to me, a prophetic word. I'm in crisis all the time. You know what's going to happen? I'm going to dilute and reduce the word spoken to me. I'm going to dilute and I'm going to reduce the word because that word, if it doesn't fit my circumstances, I can't see. Come on. It's got to not only speak into my circumstance, it's got to speak beyond my circumstance. Hello? And very often we'll dilute and we'll reduce the, the full intensity, the full impact, the full true meaning of this word. 
when Jesus said to them, get in the boat and go to the other side, there was far more behind those words than those disciples understood. Far more. But they worked on, we'll take the, we'll take the part we do understand and we'll move forward with it. They moved to the next level. Now, they might have started at the head and got to the tail. If you use that picture on, the, on our screen. That picture there is the same one there. So, it's amazing. You can always hear the big picture. You can always tell the difference between the big picture Christian and the dot-to-dot Christian when they pray. Do you know how they pray? The big picture, <coughs> the big picture Christian says, Oh, Lord. Are you ready for this? Oh, Lord, guide me by your right hand. Okay? Versus, where art thou, O Lord? Who will deliver me from this trouble? Guide me by your right hand means I need to find two, three, four, five. I need to move from this position and follow your will. Yes? But where are they, O Lord? Who will deliver me from this trouble is just get me out of this place. I'm not necessarily wanting to go to number two. I just get me out of this place because this place is too hard for me. Lord, if you love me, why would you let this go through? Let me go through this. It's because I do love you. I'll let you go through it because you need to grow and mature. Now, I know in my life, I've prayed both of those prayers. There's been times and seasons in my life when I've prayed both of those prayers. Even when I've seen the big picture, it's like, get me out of this. Change, change me, Lord, or I'll kill them. <laughs> one of two things, Lord, kill them or change me. Whichever one you want to do. But how many of you, none of us like going through trials, do we? I don't anyway. I don't know about you, but I certainly don't. The word must become more than a spade to dig you out of your hole. Hello? The word must become more than a spade to dig you out of your hole. It must become a tool to help you move the obstacles out the way so you can progress to your future. It must become a tool so that you can progress and clear the obstacles leading to your future. That's why the word comes. That's why you can stand on the word. You can look back and say, Lord, you did it there. You spoke to me here. Your word's still alive. You can still hold on to the word. You say, well, he gave me that word six months ago. It's old. No, it's not. It's still alive. It's living and active, sharper than a two-edged sword. It, jo- it divides joint and marrow. It goes right through. And so it exposes everything. The word will keep exposing you. So you can keep coming into line. There's no end to this word. Amen. So that the word must become more than a spade to dig you out of your hole. That's why some people come to church hoping that I'm or whoever the speaker is, they're going to put a spade into their situation and dig them out of a hole. Why? So they can stay on number one. Or move to number two, three. You see, Acts 27. Here they are in the midst of a storm, and we'll come to this scripture a little later. But let me now just give you this tidbit, this free of charge scripture. Acts 27 verse, I think it's 13. With, when a gentle south wind began to blow, they thought they had obtained what they wanted. So they weighed anchor and sailed 
along the shore to Crete. When a gentle wind began to blow, now listen, you're in your circumstances, you're in your trial, you're in your tribulation, and someone begins to preach, and as they begin to preach, you feel the gentle wind begin to blow. Ready? You feel the gentle wind beginning to blow. You are now aroused to the sound of what's coming towards you and you are motivated and feel that you'll open up to the breeze that's coming across your life because you think this is helping me until they thought they got what they thought they wanted. When they got what they wanted from the word, the rest of the journey didn't mean squat. But they got what they thought they wanted. And it's amazing, every Sunday, every day in church life, Christians are gathering, getting what they think they need, rather than what the Father says you must have. You see, when you're just living from dot to dot, which is circumstance, you just get what you think you need. You do not get what is needed for the journey. You only get what you need for now. Do you understand this? The word is now and it's present and it's future. The word is now, it's in front of you, and it leads you into your future. The word is always leading. It's leading us closer to God all the time. So they, they, they stand in churches and they wait for the wind to blow. Now you've got to become the wind creator now. And as you begin to speak, they feel, oh, the pastor's speaking wonderful words to me. I like this church. They make me feel real good. And now he's wind and he's, he now becomes the spade to keep digging you out of the hole. So many pastors are digging people out of holes. That's all the ministry ever consists of. He's digging people out of holes. And they never take him to the other side. They only just leave him here. Out of all this ministry, still no progression. Out of all this ministry, still no fruit. Out of all this ministry, still no obedience. It's gone quiet in here. You see, if you think, and I think, that this word that's coming to us about getting in the boat and crossing over is only about getting you through your storm, you are sadly mistaken. This word is more than your storm. Let me say that again. This word is far more, much more, than your present circumstance. Because we're not all in your circumstance. We're not in your circumstance. We're not all of us are going through a storm. But like the, the, uh, the Liverpool anthem says, when you walk through a storm, at least hold your head high. Hold your head up high. Why? I can hold my head up because I'm not in that storm right now. But if the word I'm speaking to you comes to you and you're in a storm, wonderful. But it's got to speak beyond you. True? Because what I could say is, I tell you what, everybody going through a storm, meet over here. So I'll talk, the, I'll, I'll talk about the storm to these people. And the rest of you are not going through a storm. Phil or somebody else will speak to you. Do we do that? No. Why? When mum puts the food on the table, it's good enough for everyone. Well, I'm not hungry. Get it eaten. Shut up. You get no afters? Well, I don't want them. Well, I don't want afters. Well, don't have any afters. The word is more 
than your storm. Because if you just take this word for your storm, when the storm passes, you'll still be sat on the beach and you'll still be in the same place and you'll still be unchanged. The word must lead us. It must develop us. Amen? So, when God speaks to us about the the storm, he just doesn't want to get you out the storm. He leaves you in the storm sometimes so that you'll trust him. True? And the storm keeps coming on a circle if you don't learn. Have you noticed that? It has a way of coming back on you. The same old thing keeps coming round and round again. And we use the phrase, I've been round this mountain a long time. Do you know why you've been round that mountain a long time? Because you've been disobedient. And they think they're being wise. What does scripture say? Professing themselves wise, they became fools. So that isn't, people have always got smart answers. But God's smarter than their answers. People hear the word disaster and straight away they parallel it with their situation. God's speaking to me about my job. God's speaking to me about my finances. So now everything comes into that one area. Now, there is going to come a crash. Listen to me. There is going to come across the nations of the world a financial crash. We have only experienced the crunch. We have not experienced the crash. Right? Everybody understand me? Now, the crash, we were talking about this morning, funny enough, as musicians. There is no bank safe enough for the crash. Now, one nation might be safer than the next, but eventually, all it's going to go, it's going to be a global crash. So, Maybe the Lord of the, the, the money under the bed might come back to us. I don't know. Keep your money under the mattress. I don't know. But when nations go crash, economies go down. Wheelbarrows buy a loaf of bread. True? Now, I don't know about you, but I haven't, got, I haven't even got a wheelbarrow full of money to buy a loaf of bread. So I better find some other ways. Now, am I going to go into panic? Because I know there's a crash coming. Oh, you're just being negative now, Pastor. Okay. But I'm not in a, I'm, right now I'm prospering. Wonderful. Wonderful. But there is going to come a crash, a global crash. Because even this morning, Greece was bailed out. Again, is it 10 billion? Was it 10 billion, Nick? Cyprus, Cyprus sorry. Not Greece. I knew it was next door somewhere around there. Your holiday destination, wherever you are. The point is, they got a bailout. How many more bailouts can you have? But every time you hear God's word, it doesn't mean to say you have to panic. Hello? Because if you're positioned and aligned in God, why should you have to panic? Hello? But if you automatically hear the word and take it into, oh, head for the hills. You know, in the Bible, there's a doctrine called tribulation. And many men have argued and debated, blah, blah, blah. Will the Christians go through the tribulation? Or will they go through the, will the, will the rapture come and the Christians be taken off the earth? That's not my point this morning. Only to say that when people talk about that, already there are churches who are creating storehouses of food. What, the food's going to be out of date by the time you come to eat it. Because you never know when it's going to happen. So you're going to have to keep replenishing your stock. Out of date beans. People react. People panic. Why? Because they don't know how to receive and decipher 
what they hear. So they take it into their particular circumstance and their emotions and then they distort the whole thing. True? The Bible says this, though we know these things are going to take place, we live like Christ could come back today, but we planned like he might not come back for another 10, 20 years. We live as though Christ is coming back today. In other words, we keep our hearts clean. We're always right before him. But we're allowed to plan like he's not coming back for another 10 years. If he, we, oh, no man knows when he's coming back. But I'm going to live like he could come back tonight. I wish he would come back tonight, then United couldn't win the league. <laughs> just, just, just my flesh getting in the way there. Because that is the tribulation. Matthew 4, verse 18. Matthew 4, verse 18. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers. What did he see? Two brothers. Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake for they were fishermen. What were they? Fishermen. Come, follow me, said Jesus, and I will make you fishers of men. It sounds the same, but it's not the same. It's like meerkat and mere, you know, the, the website. It's like that. It's not the same. It just sounds the same, but it's not. You can pair it, but you know it's not the same. I will make you fishers of men, not fishermen. Okay? At once, they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, sons of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in the boat with their father Zebedee, preparing their nets. Jesus called them, and immediately they left the boat, and their father followed them. Now, here we see the big picture mentality versus the small dot, or single small dot mentality. Jesus says, come follow me, I will make you fishers of men. Hang on, Jesus, are you not seen? They already are fishers, fishermen. He said, I didn't say fishermen. I said fishers of men. Now they had within them the ability to process what he said. He's going he's to take us and make us fishers of men. They had no idea what that meant. But there was something inside them that took them from their circumstances to the big picture. Yes? They could have turned around and said, hang on, we've got a business to run here. We've got to sort some things out. But they immediately got up and followed him. And they hadn't even started the fishermen, or sorry, being, learning to become fishers of men. They just learned how to move from this point to the next you and I will never know what circumstances were going on in their lives the moment they heard that word. You and I will never know that because the Bible doesn't tell us that. But they just, we just see that immediately they got up and went to the next stage. True? The key phrase here that Jesus speaks to them is, I will make you fishermen. Fishers of men, I should say. This was Jesus projecting to them they had a destiny and a purpose other than being fishermen. I will make you fishers of men. They had no idea of what that meant. 
But Jesus here was projecting to them the law of the big thinking. I'm going to make you something beyond what you already are. You see that? When God speaks to us, he sees you in your context. But his word speaks beyond your context. He's he's speaking to you about what you will become, not what you are. And this is where small dot thinking really cripples most people because they can only see what they are. They don't see what they will be because you are more than what you have presently become. But you you are so contained and limited by your small dot thinking that you never rise to what you can become. Hello, is anybody hearing? And Jesus knew their limitations. He knew their containments and yet he still spoke about the future. Now, They had to rise and move from this place. I'm speaking to you this morning. They had to rise from this place called limitation and context to in in order to discover what being fishers of men was all about. So the prophetic word that came to them had to take them, was able to be able to lift them out of their circumstance and take them to the next level. They didn't question it. They just believed him. What makes people just leave what they're doing and follow someone? We tell people, oh, we tell our children, don't follow strangers. Do we not? If a man speaks to you, run. True? And even though you become an adult, you still have that self-awareness that if strangers speak to you, be careful. And then you teach your children, run. Don't stop. Because he'll be holding sweeties. And sweeties will be, become the, the reason why he'll take you to a dark place. So we teach our kids, we guide them and we guard them from strangers. But here are these boys, yeah, we'll follow you. They didn't know where he was leading them. But something inside them of their future exploded on the inside. Only God can do that. Only God can do that. You see, the Bible says in Proverbs 16, 9, you don't have to turn there. It says, a man in, a, in, in his heart, a man plans his course. But it's the Lord who determines his steps. And while so many people are planning their course, God is interested in your steps. If a man plans his own steps, then it's fair to say that he's going to pursue his own course. And he's going to do it his own way. And he's going to do it at his own pace, the way he wants. But God does not want that. God knows you have alternative plans but God is determining your steps and the Bible says that the steps of a righteous man have been ordered by the Lord let's not forget the word righteous man we hear steps ordered by the Lord no no righteous man the righteous man's steps are ordered by the Lord in other words a righteous man will start off at one and he'll be led and guided all the way through until he sees the Lord of the big picture over his life Because there's not many righteous people or many, let me rephrase that, we are righteous in Christ, but because there's not many people being, continuing living in righteousness, so many people do never see the big picture over their life. The other side is part of the big picture. Do you realize that? So we see that when God is is beginning to do these things, God must have room in our lives to order our steps. If God has not got the door into our lives, how can he order our steps? You will always plan your own course if without God. But with God, you know that there is more and more and more and more. True? 
So God must have a, a way into our lives. So Isaiah 29 verse 15 says this, Woe to those who go to the great depths to hide their plans from the Lord, who do their work in darkness and think, who sees us? He will know. You turn things upside down as if the potter were thought to be like the clay. Shall what is formed say to him who formed it, he didn't make it? Can the pot say to the potter, he knows nothing? So it's a question he's asking us. Who's greater in our lives? Is the clay greater than the, than the potter? Or is the potter greater than the clay? Who has got control over your life is the issue. Who really has got control over your life? Is the potter shaping you? Or are you trying to tell him, keep your hands off me? Keep your hands off me. Don't touch me. Or you can only touch me on a Sunday. If the potter's really got hold of your life, he will be molding and shaping you as he sees best. If, if, you see, Jeremiah 18 says, goes on about the pot. He says, but the, Jeremiah 18 verse 4 said, but the pot he was shaping from the clay was marred in his hands. Marred means misshapen, out of alignment. So the potter formed it into another pot, shaping it as it seemed best to him. Then the word of the Lord came to me, O house of Israel, can I, or the word came to me, O dream center, can I not do with you as the potter does, declares the Lord. Like clay in the hand of the potter, so are you in my hands, O house of Israel, or dream center if we make it uh, turn to us. Jeremiah is able to see something in his spirit before he hears God's voice. God is able to show him something and then speak and bring the understanding. Hear this. But the pot he was shaping, so the potter formed it as it seemed best to him. And the word of the Lord came to me, so he's seeing before he understands. Some of us have not learned to see. So because we can't see, we don't hear. And because we don't hear, we never get confirmation. You know, I've been on number one, number two, number three, on the dot to dot illustration we're using. You know, we can stay on one number for six months, a year, 10 years, all our lives. Why? Because I have no ability to see what God's doing. I want to hear God. Because I can't see what God's doing, I can't hear him. Now we know that hearing helps us see just as much as seeing helps us hear. True? But here's Jeremiah, he can see in the spirit, he can see beyond his circumstance, he can see on behalf of a nation, and then God speaks to him and brings the understanding so that he can then go to Israel and speak what he sees and he hears. You have to perceive what God is doing beyond yourself. So that when he does speak to you, you see yourself in the context of what he's doing beyond you. Oh, that was so good, you should have wrote that down. You must see what God is doing. So when you hear what he's saying, you see it beyond your context and in light of what he's doing. So what he's doing to you is what he's doing to others in many ways. Not in every way, but in many ways. People need to see Beyond themselves. It's a key, key thing in Christianity. 
Because when you can't see beyond yourself, everything, you make this thing self-indulgent. Yeah? Let me take you to 1 Kings. 1 Kings 19, 16. To re-emphasize the point I'm making. 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 16. He says, also, we're speaking to Elijah. Also, anoint Jehu, some son of Nimshi, king of Israel, over Israel. And anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat, from Abel Mahola, to succeed you as a prophet. Jehu will put to death anyone who escapes the sword of Azel, and Elisha will put to death anyone who escapes the sword of Jehu. Yet I reserve 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed down to Baal, and all those mouths have not kissed him. So here God is speaking to the prophet of the day, Elijah, and he's saying there's some things I want you to do for me. I want you to go and anoint Jehu, because he's the one who spoke to Jezebel and brought her down. And I want you to then go and anoint Elisha. Why? Because you are about to leave this earth and I want to pass the mantle on. So how many would you know that's big picture thinking? Yeah? That's big picture thinking. He didn't speak to Elisha, Elijah on the small dot. He spoke to him beyond himself. Yes? So then if we go to verse 19. So Elijah went from there and found Elisha, son of Shaphat. He was plowing with 12 yokes of oaken, and he himself was driving the 12th pair. Elijah went up to him and threw his cloak around him. Elisha then left his oxen and ran after Elijah. Pick up this. Let me kiss me father and mother goodbye, he said, and then I'll come with you. Go back, Elijah replied. What have I done to you? So Elijah left him and went back. He took his yoke of oxen and slaughtered them. He burned the plow equipment to cook the meat and gave it to the people and they ate it. Then he set out to follow Elijah and became his attendant. Now, this guy is involved in day-to-day small dot activities. He's plowing his what? His field. Just like you. He's plowing his field. But the mandate on Elijah is big picture thinking. Elisha does not know that he's going to move from small dot to big dot. True? He doesn't know that his life's about to change. He doesn't know what God has already decided in heaven will take place. Just like you don't. And I don't. We can have a sense sometimes, but we don't know fully the picture of how God will use us. And how our life will fully map out. Or am I the only one? And then God uses a man to go and speak to him and he didn't even really speak to him he just put his cloak around him and when he threw his best jacket around him something happened in the heart of Elisha that said I need to leave this dot and follow because somehow I know in my spirit in an instant this man is going to help me cross over yes he's gone from small dot to big to big picture just in one action So if I asked someone with a jacket today to put their coat on, we would just say, that's just a man putting his coat on. But something happened in the spirit. Something happened in the spirit. Though it was was a natural act, it was a spiritual and symbolic act of something that was going to take place in the spirit. Was it not? 
Now, it's interesting here because later on in our, I should say, when we read in Matthew about crossing over, we read that there's a man who said, can I go and bury my father? And Jesus says, let the dead bury them themselves. And yet here, the first thing that Elijah, Elijah wanted to do was go back and do things. Amen? So there was something here that Elijah, sorry, Elisha perceived that his destiny, all, I, don't think he'd ever, I don't know if he'd ever thought about his destiny when he was plowing that field. Then all of a sudden, God puts a prophet into his midst and the prophet does something, but instantly inside his heart, he said, there's more. Instantly, there's more. God is trying to take this man from plowing of the fields to becoming plowers for men or plowers for the kingdom. Yes? And instantly, the prophetic word gets released into his midst and it creates all kinds of actions to take place. This is what must happen in your life and my life. The more you keep receiving the word, your actions must change so you keep in line with your destiny. If the word keeps coming to you, but you make no changes, then why would you think you're going to cross to the other side? Come on, be honest. If I'm in a car and the sign says, have you ever been in on a sat-nav? You've used your sat-nav and your sat-nav plans your route, but you know a quicker route. True? She wants to take you all the way around, but you say, I'll tell you what, I'll go this way. Does she keep speaking? She does. She keeps recalibrating until you finally get on track, and she, it's like she says, at last, he's listening to me. It's the only time a man listens to a woman <laughs> when she's on a sat-nav. But guess what? That's just a machine. God doesn't always work like that. We can be disobedient, and God will wait. And wait, and wait, until our heart is ready, until we see some things, then we cry out to God, and God begins to speak again. Now, the thing is, is here he is in this field. His destiny's purpose is there before him. So now he makes all kinds of actions to keep it in line with what God is speaking. So what does he do? The first thing he does is he runs back. He says, let, let me kiss my father and mother goodbye. That's not a bad place to start. Kiss your mom and dad goodbye. By the way, mom, I'm not going to see you again. It's been good to know you. Thank you for raising me. I'm off. What do you mean you're going? Your mother and father would make sure that you couldn't do that. Would they? Yeah, come on. Your mother and father would say, what do you mean? They'd sit you down and they are you doing this right? You're leaving everything, son. Who's going to have to plough this field? Your father? Have you seen how old your father is? His back's really off. Don't, oh, you're not running out on us now. But Elisha, he's so thrilled and filled with destiny that it causes him to kiss his mum and dad goodbye. Mum, I'd write you a letter, but we ain't got time. And then he says, Kiss my mother and father goodbye, he said, and then I'll come with you. Go back. Elijah said, Elijah's thinking to himself, look, I don't want to cause all this. I don't want to see your mum and dad crying and waving you off. I don't want to be the reason why I'm bringing you a choice to make. But I'm only obeying God. I have no other option. And Elijah's saying, look, whoa, whoa, whoa. Don't blame me for this. I'm just a servant of God. You've got to work some things out. God, what are you doing? You're messing this boy up in front of me. Elijah thought he could just put his cloak on and it'd be okay. But Elijah's thinking, no, 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 no. Something's happened inside me. I've got to follow you. 
But Elijah's, but Elijah's thinking, God, this is, I'm not buying into this emotional deal. I can see how it's affecting this boy. God says, you do what you do, and he'll have to do what he does. That's why when a man speaks the word out, you can blame the man, but you can't blame the man. It's God who's speaking to you. You can't turn around and say, you told me that I have to do this, 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 and this. I didn't tell you squat. Holy Spirit's got to bear witness inside your heart. The Holy Spirit's got to bear witness. I'm just his mouthpiece. If you've got to go and kiss your mother and father goodbye, then you've got to go and kiss your mother and father goodbye. But don't blame me. Don't ask me to kiss your mother and father. I ain't going. I'm not kissing your mother and father. Why? I just put the coat on you. Now, your destiny lies in another field. Your destiny lies in another field. This is why you must leave the beach. This is why you must get into the boat and cross to the other side because your destiny is in another field. It's not just in your day to day. It's what you're becoming. Amen. Elisha had to leave, listen, the preferable, the comfortable, the predictable, and the personable. I'll say that again for you. Elijah had to leave the preferable, the comfortable, the personable, and the predictable. In the last minutes we have, just turned to Acts 27. Elijah had to leave his place to cross over. He had to break his ties with his attachments. He had to break his ties with attachments. Do you know when I was in my company, working there, and God had always called me into the ministry. Do you know when you work for a company for 10, 15, 20 years, there's part of that company that never leaves you. You know that, don't you? It's like when you've been married or you've been in a relationship. There's part of that relationship that never leaves you because you've been ingrained with it. When you work with people, they become your life. Don't they? So I remember when I first came into the ministry and uh, I remember the first couple of weeks, the first couple of months, sorry, of me coming into the ministry, my company kept ringing me back up and saying, would you like to work a few extra shifts? So I'm thinking, okay, I'm certainly not getting paid what I used to get paid. I could do with the money. So I tried to do some shifts where I was working 12 hours. I go through the night and then I come in here during the day. And it was killing me. But I like the taste of money, like many of you do. And I thought, and what I was playing this game, in my mind, I was in the ministry, but I was also in the church, sorry, in, in the factory, earning some money. And I heard God say, hello, did I not call you out? Get out. But what about the money? Get out. Because as I tried to leave the first time, they were making people redundant. And I tried to get my redundancy earlier. I thought, if I could walk out with 20 grand, wouldn't that be awesome? God, I'll go into the ministry with 20 grand. No, they won't give me my redundancy. I thought, Lord, you're tight rat. <laughs> Let me walk in. Let me leave the ministry with 20 grand. I'm being honest. I wanted 20 grand in my pocket, wouldn't you? Wouldn't you try everything you could to try and get some redundancy money? Hey, I'd worked there for, for 17 years. They owed it me. I was entitled to it, so I thought. And I kept saying, Lord, you're tight, right? Let me get into, let me have this money. And the Lord says, no, 
you're not having it. So when they offered me extra shifts, I thought, well, I'll get the money back another way. Don't tell me you wouldn't think like this. And I did. So I was, I'm working, and I'd be, I'd be coming into the office with my eyes like that. And I'd be, because I'd been up 12, 13 hours, 14 hours. And uh, this was really getting to me. And I heard the voice of the Lord say to me, I called you out, now get out. Just like that. You know, when you hear that kind of word, it's like, okay, I'm out. I'm out of here. You know why? Because I was in danger of staying on number one. I was in danger of staying there and missing my destiny. Because what God had for me was in another field. It wasn't in that field. And some, some of you are playing in both sides. You're playing. You've got a foot in both camps. Stop it. Hear the word of the Lord. Get out. Make a choice in your heart. I'm in, I'm all in, or I'm not in. Because a foot in both camp is a confused man. You cannot play in both fields if God's called you to this field. What light does fellowship have with darkness? So you need to be sure that what God is speaking to you, you fully then comply with. And then here we see in Acts 27 verse 10, they're in. Just like you, they were crossing over, they were in a boat, the storm was going crazy. And he said, men, here's a great word of encouragement from the leader. Men, I can see that our voyage is going to be disastrous. That's a great prophetic word for you, isn't it? And bring great loss to ship and cargo. Well, thank you, Paul. Shut up. Yeah? And to our own lives also. I mean, this boy could be called Jonah. Yeah? But the centurion, instead of listening to what Paul said, followed the advice of the pilot and the owner of the ship. Okay? What do you think is more important, people? Cargo or your life? Come on, some of you know I'm not quite sure. Hello? Let's make this really easy. What do you think is more important? Cargo or your life? Right, because the cargo is no good if you did. Right? But if this, and knowing this is so true, why do we choose the opposite? Why do we choose our attachments over our life? Why do we allow our attachments to kill us, put us in debt, rather than our life? Come on. Jesus told us not to pursue those things, but to pursue the Father. And all these things will be then added unto you. Doesn't mean say you get the diamond ring or the TV. Doesn't mean say you get everything you know. It says pursue him and the things that matter to your life will come. Not the things you want. Because I've never had a home cinema big screen. I want one, but I haven't got one. So it doesn't mean all the carnal things or the earthly things. It means the things that you need for your life and destiny will come. Amen? But... We can see that the voyage, is, the voyage is going to be disastrous. We know our journey in God is going to have some trouble and pain. True? And we know that we're going to have to lose some things along the way. Or maybe you don't know that. Maybe that's a delusion right there. That you think you can take it all into the kingdom. You can't. You have to ser search out and sort out what you're taking to the other side. You can't take all your cravings, your habits. You can't take your sensual living, your carnal desires. You can't take them to the other side. 
But you will think, well, I really love this person. I really like that. I really want this. Well, then like and love them. But you won't cross over. Because there's some things not allowed on the other side. Some things are not allowed. I didn't say some people. I said some things. So if we are mindful that we have to make some adjustments like Elijah did, he burnt everything, he killed the fatty calf, let his brothers eat it, had a feast. Now that took some time. You don't just kill, he didn't microwave the cow. He didn't microwave the cow. He had to cook the thing. He had to slaughter it and cook it. That must have took how many hours? I don't know. And then he's got to run like the clappers to catch up with Elijah. He had to say goodbye with some things. So move down from 27 to verse 16. Sorry, Acts 27. Move from verse 11 to verse 16. As we passed to the lee of a small island called Corda, we were hardly able to make the lifeboat secure. When the men had hoisted it aboard, they passed ropes under it, ship itself to hold it together. Now they're doing everything possible to keep hold of the cargo. Fearing they would run aground on the sandbars of citrus, they lowered the sea anchor and they let the ship be driven along. We took such a violent battering, it sounds like us yesterday, from the storm that the next day they began to throw the cargo overboard. Oh, hallelujah. On the third day, they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands. Now they've realized that if we don't let go of the cargo, we're all going to drown. They've, it's taken them to come to a point where they've been battered by the waves and the storm and the winds for them to really understand. Now, I don't believe in their hearts they ever wanted to let go of that cargo. But it came to a choice. When it's life or death, you have to make a choice. Now, because many of us don't feel we're at that point of life and death, we don't make the choice. You see, if we knew the foods that we'd eaten caused, it, caused us to have the cancer, we wouldn't have ate the foods. But once you know you've got the cancer, you think, well, if I eat something different, it'll go away. No, it doesn't. Prevention is better than... Thank you. So, verse 21. After the men had gone a long time without food, Paul stood up, same chapter, and said, men, you should have listened to my advice. Well, thank you, Paul. Now's not the right time to say that. Then you would have spared yourselves this damage and loss. But now I urge you to keep up your courage. Because not one of you will be lost. Only the ship will be destroyed. Last night, an angel of the Lord, whose I am and whom I serve, stood beside me and said, don't be afraid. Paul, you must stand trial before Caesar. And God has graciously given to you the lives of all who sail with you. So keep up your courage, men. For I have faith in God that it will happen just as he told me. Nevertheless. We must run aground on some island. Acts 27. Paul, because of his big picture thinking, could see that every step he took was a step of obedience. From the first day he gets saved to this journey, he'd made step after step of obedience. You know? So that whatever was going to happen, Paul was never going to die because he still had the big picture in his mind. He still had to go to Rome. He had a sense of the bigger picture. But to these boys, they were so locked up in their circumstance, dot, single dot thinking, they only feared for their life. But Paul says, hey, you're not going to die. Why? Because I've got a big picture. That sounds arrogance. So, let me leave you with this. 
What is God telling you? What is he telling you personally through this whole message? What are you picking up from this message? The Bible says that when David had served the purposes of God, then in his own generation, he fell asleep and was buried with his fathers and his body decayed. Now, my friend, death is not your destiny. Now, let that sink in. When I'm saying that word, I don't know what sickness or what news some of you may have received. So just hold that word right there. I know the Spirit of God is speaking to someone right now. Right now, there's sickness upon your body. But God has said it will not end in death. He's not just said it because you want to hear it. Don't take it to your circumstance. Take the word beyond. Why doesn't he want you to die? Because there's still a purpose and a destiny on your life. Not because he doesn't want you to die. Oh, please, get over it. Come on. Take this word serious. God has got more than your cancer or your veruca. God has a purpose. When God speaks, he speaks in terms of purpose and destiny. Amen? We've already read this morning what can separate us. Nothing. When you understand God, God's calling me beyond my circumstance. So what are you hearing from this word? Paul had factored into his crossing over that there will be life-threatening storms. Have you? Have you? Paul had factored into his crossing over that there would be people who would not listen to him despite his best advice and help being given. But what about you? Are you ready to listen to despite the skill, gifting and knowledge that you have? Are you still ready to listen to the help and advice of others? Paul factored into his crossing over that there would be times where you would have to go with the status quo. As you are not always the one in charge. But what about you? Do you get in your own boat the moment you can't have your own way? Or are you willing to stick with the status quo for a while? Just a question. Paul had factored that by him crossing over, there would be angelic encounters telling him of the prophetic imminency. What God was about to do. Are you listening, my friend? And are you watching for prophetic fulfillment over your life? Are you listening to this word? Are you listening to this word? Paul had factored that by him crossing over, you have to become willing to let go of some non-purposeful attachments. What are you willing to let go of today? Oh, I can see it's getting different now. Paul factored him to him crossing over that, that there would be times when those around you would run out of courage. And the time would come for you to speak with your words to people that would encourage them, words that they desperately need. Are you ready to help others cross over with courage? Are you ready to speak to those who need help and courage? Are you listening to this word? We are seven weeks into this word. Uh, hopefully this morning the coin is hitting the mechanism. Last Sunday night, 
We had a powerful time in prayer. And there was a time when I really felt many were in the boat. And that's just a part of our journey, being in the boat. The objective of our journey is to get to the other side. That's the objective, to go to the other side. Because there's more territory to be taken. Christ wants to take territory in you. So that we can take territory in his kingdom. Righteousness in you has to take, become righteousness outside. Peace in you that's worked in you must become the peace that you display outside. The joy that God works in you must become the joy that's released outside. What happens in you happens outside. It doesn't happen outside if it doesn't happen in you. It must happen in you. The reason why God's getting you out from the beach into the boat is so that you will cross to the other side. So this morning, what are you willing to let go of? What have you considered for your life about crossing over? What does it mean to you, church? What does it mean to you? For me, I know that it means cargo will have to be lost. More and more, God is requiring to let go of those things. The things that so easily entangle you. The things that hold you down, whether it be mentally, whether it be physically, whether it be financially, you've got to learn to break them off your life with Christ's help. Because it's cargo that will take you and cause you to run aground. You're so very fortunate this morning that we're alive to hear this word. We're so fortunate that God has graced us so that we can live another week. This life of ours should not be taken for granted. But you know, when you do know, when you live with sense of destiny in your life, you know that when some people say it's about to end, it's not. You can push back certain things. Why? Because your time has not yet come. Jesus kept saying, my time has not yet come. We can live with that. We can live with that sense of timing. Why? Because the spirit of God within us speaks that. It cries, now's not the time. It's not been time for me to travel. But now there's a release. And when it's my time, it's your, it's your turn. So if you'd like to stand to your feet, let's bring this thing to a conclusion. Paul factored in some serious, serious things into his crossing over. Paul seriously had factored in. What are you willing to factor into your life this morning? There is the big picture thinking. There is the big picture over your life. But is your circumstance dictating how far you will travel? Well, the answer to many of us is yes. So we have to determine, Lord, what I'm about. What am I willing to let go of so that I can cross over to the other side? What is this message meaning to you? Is this word just for your circumstance? Or is this word taking us beyond? If you're taking it beyond, if this word's for you for beyond, let's just raise our hands this morning, if we will. God does not give his word like a spade to keep digging us out of our hole. God gives us his word so it becomes a tool so we can remove the obstacles leading to our future. This word has to become that spade. Remove the obstacles from our lives. Church, this is the word of God to us. I know it is. This is the word. Paul, like you, 
like Elijah, like Elisha, had to determine that forward is the only way. I'll burn what I need to burn. I'll sacrifice what I need to sacrifice. I'll kiss goodbye what I need to kiss goodbye in order that my destiny stays on track. It's not enough just for you to believe you have a destiny. You need to see it. We are not wishful thinkers. We are practical people. We must know the destiny that's in our hearts. Because God wants to cross every man, every woman, every child, every baby in this house to the other side. Because the other side is what he sees for us. It's the best. It's a father speaking to us. God is our father. And he sees on the other side there's greater land. It's a land flowing with milk and honey. But what you see right now is only circumstantial. But what he sees is different. So in your heart of hearts this morning, I want you to, if you will, talk with God right now. Dialogue with him. Say, Lord, I know what I need to give up. I know what you've been challenging me over. I know what has to go. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. For more information, go to www.thedreamcentre.co.uk.